Hello everybody, welcome to the InvestorCast. I'm your host Crowley, and today we're going to be talking about ICOs, also known as Initial Coin Offerings. Are you ready to learn today? I know I am. So let's go on this journey together. So often people who invest are left with this question, whether or not to invest or to trade a particular asset. And that always has the same answer. It's, it depends. It's important to understand the dynamics of each strategy. For example, say you purchase $1,000 of Bitcoin and you hold it for five years. That will most likely give you more money than purchasing the same amount of Bitcoin and selling it a week when the price appreciates. Even though it's always better if you're going to sell it within that week to not do it when the price depreciates. That's called selling at a loss and nobody here wants to do that. Now investing is often thought of as the buy and hold strategy where those holdings can include stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And hopefully you have some kind of risk reduction through diversification. And many of the people in the crypto community, they mistake investing with short-term trading of digital assets. An investor is buying an asset with the idea of long-term appreciation. A trader is looking for appreciation, but it's on a much quicker and smaller time scale. And the goal is to make a lot of small trades to make money. Now, digital assets will always give you plentiful opportunities. Whatever your investment strategy is in crypto, I think you need to have some amount of your portfolio in cash on standby so that you can take advantage of these trading opportunities that come along. Because last thing you want to do is have all your stuff locked up and then you can't take advantage of great opportunities. Now, when we're looking at crypto, with all these digital assets, there are three main eras. We have the era of ICOs, which are initial coin offerings. We have the era of IEOs, initial exchange offerings, and the era of STOs, security token offerings. Now, ICOs began in 2013 and ran through 2018. The era of IEOs began in 2019 and will continue until STOs, which are security token offerings, become more common. In comparison to other technology giants like Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, Bitcoin is kind of still in its infancy when you consider only about 1% adoption globally. Now, Bitcoin's market cap would have to grow by thousands of times over what it is today to reach those proportions may take another several years or even a decade before we can see an increase in institutional money pouring into centralized exchanges such as Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, and others along with market makers like Fidelity, JP Morgan, and Citibank entering into this space. Now, whether or not you're investing your assets long-term or short-term, I recommend a portfolio of about five to say 10 digital assets, preferably ERC-20 tokens, with a diversified portfolio that includes traditional assets such as stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and real estate, 
but I also recommend spending enough time on research to be able to recognize the type of assets that you want to hold in order to reduce your risk. Always, 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 always do your own research. Do your homework because there's nothing worse than just blindly investing and then losing everything. Trust me, I've been there. Many people call themselves long-term investors in Bitcoin because they've held it for several years. But if you're holding just one asset and nothing else, then you're not really all that diversified and I don't know if I can truly call you an investor, in my opinion. But the idea here with short-term investing, even though they're doing the same thing with very similar assets, it's to not hold positions for too long so as to not incur taxes from capital gains and losses on trades that go against you. Also, some traders will trade with stop losses so that they can limit their losses automatically so that they can trade often without getting taxed too much on positions that don't really perform all that great. A good rule of thumb is maybe to limit your trading positions to 20% or less depending on your risk tolerance. As a short-term trader, you need to know the difference between altcoins, utility coins, and security tokens. On top of this, you're going to need to understand the difference between exchanges, protocols, and market makers so that you can intelligently purchase digital assets and then manage your risk accordingly. Now, when you're managing risk for short-term trading, now it may be really helpful to take a long hard look at the volatility of these assets because digital assets move so much faster than traditional assets now you can use a trend following system it provides many opportunities for short-term trading because once an asset begins moving quickly it tends to continue moving in the same direction until it hits resistance or a support level. Trend following works across multiple time frames, but some prefer longer term time frames such as weeks or months, and some prefer shorter time frames such as hours or minutes. Your choice will depend on your personal circumstances, including how much time you have for monitoring your trades and what your goals are for your overall earnings. Now, in the last episode, we talked about the two different types of trends a little bit in the cycles, right? Um, you have the bullish and the bearish trends. So like, this is more on a smaller scale, right? So an uptrend typically doesn't have as low of lows, but has much higher highs, whereas a downtrend, well, you're not gonna see many highs, you're gonna see really low lows. Although neither are guaranteed, which makes the moving averages more of an indicator to be useful for monitoring these trends. Another useful indicator I have found for monitoring these trends is called the Relative Strength Index, which tells you whether a particular asset is overbought. So that's because many people view it underpriced. Another useful indicator is recommended by many traders is Bollinger Bands because they're dynamic 
and adjust to changes in volatility as well as provide resistance levels at two standard deviations above or below the simple moving average. Another useful indicator recommended by many traders is RSI. Now you have the other indicator, which is recommended by many, many traders, is the MACD, M-A-C-D, which provides signals based on moving average crossovers. Then finally, you got your pivot points, where traders make predictions about levels where resistance becomes support or vice versa. And then of course you have this other one, which I think is kind of esoteric and super cool. It's called Fibonacci levels, right? Which are based on ratios from the Fibonacci sequence. I mean, I, I think that's just the, the coolest. I mean, yeah, Fibonacci, some good stuff. So again, the main topic, ICOs. In 2017 alone, companies raised over $5 billion just through ICOs. But, however, once regulators stepped in, ICOs began decreasing rapidly with only $110 million raised in 2018. It comes as no surprise that lots of scams were able to raise a huge ton of money during the ICO era because many investors were new to this space but were willing to do their own research by reading white papers and investing in this blockchain vision. This was because most tech companies were started with little more than just words on the page. Whereas cryptos were started with little more than just words on a website. So what did the SEC do? And how did they respond to all these ICOs in the U.S.? They simply called them unregistered securities. And what did they say about initial coin offerings that were not registered? They said that they are illegal because the offer to sell digital assets by organizations is a subject to the requirement of the federal securities law. But do all ICOs need to be considered securities? No. The SEC also provides an investor bulletin, which gives lots of information about ICOs along with a few good explanations on the topic, such as their investor alert regarding pump and dump schemes, which are illegal in all traditional asset classes. But the SEC is really clear that this practice is still illegal in the crypto space too. Another useful tool offered by the SEC is the Howey test, which helps you determine whether or not an ICO can be considered a security. It has four main criteria, an investment of money, a common enterprise with an expectation of profit, and it's derived from the efforts of others. So if your ICO fails, the Howey test then, you can rest assured that it's not a security. Therefore, not illegal. So you might ask, why should you care whether or not a new form of fundraising is legal? Well, if it's not obvious, um, if some illegal stuff is going down, you're not really protected. Um, 
You can't always expect everyone to have your best interests at heart. I mean, I understand the whole crypto space is kind of the wild, wild west. Okay, but I don't know, cowboy. Slow it down. You might, uh, you, 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 you might want to like, I don't know, cover your own ass. Sorry for the language. I just at that point, like, yeah. If if you don't care whether or not something's regulated, you're kind of just asking for trouble. But I digress. But really, okay. So let's let's break it down a little bit. So let's say there's a startup. They're raising money. It's not exactly legal. They mess up and they get sued. Okay? From these investors that that are calling these investments and tokens securities. And therefore, the startup could be fined or its officers jailed or both. This is why startups need to have teams that include lawyers and legal consultants who can properly advise them on these topics. So it's not just important for you, the investor, to know whether or not everything's legal, it's also important for the team. Because there could be a lot of money lost on both sides and jail time for the team itself. And trust me, I've heard many stories about prison. None of them are really pleasant. Okay? Just, just be safe. That's all I'm asking. One thing the SEC did very correctly was to provide guidance for startups on how to safely do an ICO without running into problems with regulators. The SEC created what they called a plain English guide for digital assets, which basically said that tokens should be structured as a utility token within an existing blockchain where the users of the token have rights to use it. Now, a lot of countries responded very favorably by coming up with some regulatory systems which allowed ICOs. Now, some countries like Switzerland already had $100 million invested into blockchain startups by 2015 and was considered one of the best countries for blockchain startups with favorable regulations. The rest of Europe was also very favorable towards ICOs, along with North America, with countries like Japan giving clear guidelines for companies doing an ICO so that investors knew what rights they would have or not after investing. Other countries, however, restricted themselves from buying tokens from startups, but allowed startups located within their country to conduct ICOs. So as long as they follow certain conditions, such as India, where there were over 200 blockchain startups by 2017, and many of them made use of ICOs to raise capital, including one company called IndieCoin, which raised almost half a million dollars in less than 30 days, with investors from over 100 countries. Regulators from around the world were unsure how to respond to this new form of fundraising, but eventually they all settled on classifying utility tokens as commodities similar to oil, whereas security tokens were classified as securities, similar to stocks. Although this is more of a generalization than a rule, because each country is vastly different. So really, initial coin offerings, while they are exciting and innovative, they also present many challenges 
which is why we need those regulations so that startups can know what's expected of them and investors can know what their rights are. One thing that people need to be careful about when investing in unregulated digital assets is they don't just lose their money because these assets tend to be much more volatile than those regulated by a local or central government. That's the risk when you're doing this whole decentralized finance thing. Some examples of these volatile digital assets include Bitcoin, Ethereum, and ERC-20 tokens. Finally, the last thing you need to be careful about when purchasing digital assets is security. Because most exchanges are centralized, meaning that they hold your private keys for you, which means that if a hacker makes it through their security, then you could lose everything. These exchanges include, but are not limited to, Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, and Binance. Well, that's all I have today, guys. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for stopping in. If you learned something today, please share it. Make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to follow it and subscribe it on whatever platform you're listening to. It all helps so much. Thank you for going on this journey with me today. My name's Crowley, and this was the InvestorCast.